Jack, Levi. The Book Club from Hell. Hello everyone, this is Jack with The Book Club from Hell. The greatest, most beautiful, youngest looking and most handsome low and middle income housing construction association in southeastern Australia. I'm going to go ahead and assume that you've heard of Donald Trump. Trump, The Art of the Deal, is a possibly autobiographical work by Donald Trump and journalist Tony Schwartz, published in 1987. I say possibly, as Schwartz claimed having received $250,000 for this book, as well as a claim on half of this book's royalties, that Trump wrote none of it, and that Schwartz assembled the various stories of famous deals within from the existing corpus of books and newspaper articles about Trump. Schwartz's hand-wringing over helping with Trump's never-ending self-advertisements aside, what is the art of the deal about? It's basically a series of accounts written in Trump's voice of several of Trump's business deals, with scattered attempts to draw both commercial and life lessons from these. Quickly before getting started, we've got a Patreon for this podcast, where we post the notes we've taken for the various books we cover. If you're wanting to support us or like what we're doing with this show, then the link to our Patreon is in the show notes. Additionally, I've just published a novel called Tower, which involves the medical treatment of souls, literally becoming your job, mass de-existence events based on stock exchange data, the phenomenology of dinner plates, and one very, very tall tower. Very fitting for a Trump episode. Tower is, in large part, inspired by Bulgakov and Kafka, and if this sounds at all interesting to you, then you can buy a copy from Amazon or Apple Books, links in the show description, or go to www.jackbc.me, that is jackbc.me, for more information. So, if you're somehow in the year 2023 not tired of hearing about Donald Trump, then listen on. Enjoy. I actually found the book interesting. Really? Yeah, I, I went in. This was one of the more boring things we've read. <laughs> It's just, it's just diet Trump. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like it's Trump enough to be irritating, but not quite Trump enough to be funny. <laughs> yeah, it's Trump run through the filter of a reasonable person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I read a few years ago in in a publication famed for being for being temperate and cool headed in its discussion of Trump, the New Yorker an article where they talked to Tony Schwartz, the guy who wrote most of this book about art, writing the art of the deal. And apparently Trump, after like after half an hour or something like that, of, of meeting Tony Schwartz, having agreed to do this book, just completely lost interest. And so Tony Schwartz had to chase him around and kind of observe him and get snippets of what he thought about you know, the, the various things he was doing while Trump was doing other things and then just made up a lot of it. Yeah, a lot of it is such generic, quote-unquote, business advice that... It's really, really aggressively generic business advice. But every now and then, there are certain things that, at least if Trump's tweeting and his his manner of giving campaign speeches is anything to go by, things that seem like they actually were said by Trump, but probably just as offhand comments. Yeah. (laughs) You can see... Okay, so... One of the problems with talking about Donald Trump is it's really hard to work out what's true because he is, to put it nicely, prone to hyperbole, particularly when it comes to talking about his own achievements. Truthful hyperbole, though. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's there's a whole side of politics for whom it's like, I don't know, him drinking a cup of water is a declaration of, you know, undying love of fascism and a 
an unbreakable desire to destroy American democracy. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, he's just like there's the just devil no fucking way to to really <laughs> trust anything said about or by this man. And then reading the art of the deal, which is not even really written by Trump, makes it even harder to work out quite what's true. Yeah, especially because this is this is essentially just Trump propaganda for himself, which is very funny. And very Trump. <laughs> <laughs> when was it published? Like 86 or something or 1990 or something like that? 87. First of 87. November 87 was when it was published. Yeah. So he's this kind of strange eccentric billionaire that came came up in the 70s and 80s and is like a, uh, at that point, still a New York socialite who's branched out into, say, like Atlantic City and Las Vegas and stuff. And he's making a name for himself you know, smashing his name on all the buildings that he's building. On just everything he can get his hands on. On everything that he puts his hands on. Cars like the Cadillac. At the end of the book, he's like, oh, yeah, they're building two Cadillacs and they're naming uh, like, the Trump executive and the Trump something mm. else. <laughs> like, so everything's yeah, just yeah, branded that's up Trump. Right. And it's like the most luxurious cars ever made. <laughs> everything that has his name attached to it is, is the most luxurious. The best, the highest the quality. Best, the the most comfortable <laughs> thing ever made. He is like the pure distillation. He is he is the manifestation of the American soul as a culture <laughs> become in the form of Donald J. Trump. He is a he's a remarkably American phenomenon. <laughs> it really gives more weight to Spangler's analysis of of, except here in this analysis, the American soul is a distinct soul <laughs> from yeah. that of the West. Just this new, uh, horrible, giant orange thing. <laughs> the funniest bits of this book, uh, or the, the bits of the book I enjoyed most, are almost when I wasn't reading it and could step back and think about the things that he always brings up. I've got a, I've got a list of basically just recurring themes in this book. Very consistently, Trump will say he's been talking to a famous, wealthy, or powerful person, and this person owns the biggest or the best or the most aggressive, most etc. organization in a given field. And then he'll he'll compliment how that person looks and say that they are they look young. Whenever he likes anyone, <laughs> yeah. he does he pulls an iron rand. He's a staunch <laughs> physiognomist. Whenever he likes someone, they're good looking and young looking. <laughs> and how he he regularly talks about how he wants to be more aggressive in a given deal but something's restraining him <laughs> how much he likes winners he he often talks about how competitive he is consistently he says that something he's done was under budget and um and on schedule or ahead of schedule even and his his competitors d- consistently deliver low quality yeah, garbage yeah. uh over budget and over deadline. <laughs> he consistently also says that someone has called someone's called him up and offered him a deal, but he'll pass on the deal even though it sounds really good because he's just got so many options. It's oh, hey, super abundant options. Very <laughs> abundant. Non-stop <laughs> options. Oh, flying places in a helicopter. That's a really, really art of the deal. Him, him and uh, is it Melania? Mel- uh, yeah. Ivana. This was, Iva- this was Ivana, pre-Melania. Yeah. This was Ivana. Just flying, flying all over the world in their chopper. Yeah. This is back, this is before they got divorced and he, he regularly compliments Ivana on how 
how driven she is, how switched on she is, how beautiful what she is. What a great is. manager she is. Yeah. <laughs> Her attention to detail. <laughs> Which, to be fair, I've, I have heard that she is actually a really, really switched on woman. The problem is, I'm sure again, is. With, yeah. <laughs> with anything connected to Trump, I just don't really trust anything I hear. <laughs> just a heuristic is just, yeah, I don't trust this. <laughs> yeah, I don't trust it because it's either like, well, he's, I don't exempt myself from this either. He has the remarkable ability to turn basically anyone considering him into a moron. It's like <laughs> people who like him become stupid in how much they like him and people who dislike him become stupid in how much they dislike him. <laughs> he just turns up the crazy dial on everything. He's, good. He's a very high-gain person in that any signal run through Trump is just amplified to shit. <laughs> I really enjoyed uh, the like learning more about his life, even though obviously it is an extremely one-sided, and it's only yeah. it's only you know like portraying all the pretty like the the good stuff, notwithstanding the bias of this little piece of quote unquote self-made billionaire propaganda. It was actually interesting to learn about some parts of his life. Yeah, which. Um, I, I found, yeah, I actually found really interesting. Yeah, learning about his father. Again, it's really hard to tell, though. So, so he talks about his, his childhood and particularly his father, Fred Trump. The fact that it fits into such a neat narrative, as with everything respect, with respect to Trump, I just don't trust it. It's like he establishes Fred Trump as a highly competent, highly driven in a very limited way, highly honourable man, in a, a very limited, strictly defined way, honourable man. And then Trump can then claim all of those attributes to himself. He can say, I am the image of my father. But then his father's flaw is that he doesn't think or he didn't it's think not big, big enough. enough. Not thinking big enough. Yeah. Which, which allows this narrative arc for Donald Trump to, to be his father in in some way, in writing all of these good features into his father, true or not, he, as Donald Trump, is able to take on those features and then express them to an even greater extent with the the hagiography or the self hagiography that takes place later in the book. <laughs> it's it, it's just it's too narratively neat for me to trust it as biography. <laughs> that's yeah, that's why I'm saying it's. Just a piece of propaganda. <laughs> it just put, it's, it's really weird to because when we read propaganda on the show, and when we mm. or when I've read propaganda in my own time, it's always for some cause, political a cause thing, or an ideal, yeah. or an ideology, or an ideal. But this is just purely for the self-aggrandizement of a single individual person who just wants the world to know how fucking good he is. <laughs> so that's that's one of the features about Donald Trump that I wouldn't say endearing. No, I find fascinating in that he's he's just like the singularity of self-absorption. Like he's he's at a point of self-absorption where it becomes actually somewhat unpredictable as to what is going to happen because he's in a point of self-absorption that I can't even model in my head. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it must be very strange uh, existing in the orbit of that man's life because everything would just be about him, don't you reckon? 
I'd expect so, but again, as I keep saying, then his his family seems really, to have inherited really hard the to same. Tell what's actually going on with Donald Trump? Yeah, it seems like the other members of his family are also very like oh, Trump. Yeah, well, yeah, Trump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like know, his, maybe they're really nice people. His but. children share half his genome and were raised yeah. in an environment where he was very prominent. So. <laughs> <laughs> his intense self-absorption must have rubbed up on that. <laughs> He's a fucking weird figure. It's also so strange reading this, knowing that eventually he'd become president. <laughs> yeah. And actually, some of the more interesting parts of this And book, it was 30 years. It took 30 years. I'll, I'll, I'll just give a really quick run through of how this book's structured, because we're not going to run through this blow by blow, because that'd be so boring. It'd so be really boring. This book is roughly structured where... Except for the first chapter and the last chapter, which are a bit, which are distinct. It's basically each chapter is dedicated to some big deal he's done that <laughs> he has either that has either been an unreserved success, or as in the case of the um, the, the USFL, NFL, I think the US Football the USFL, League, which yep. was a competitor of the NFL. He he lost money, didn't get what he wanted, but he or I expect Tony Schwartz offers a bunch of reasons as to why it was actually really, really good. It was a moral and righteous success. It was, <laughs> it was a spiritual victory. <laughs> it's also funny, um, what was his name? Herschel Walker or something is a just a big a human rectangle. I looked at pictures of him. He's just a big, big rectangle, a <laughs> big broad man who <laughs> was a football player that Trump that Trump signed for his team in the USFL. And just repeatedly throughout his book, Herschel Walker must have made a real impression on Trump because he just keeps bringing him up <laughs> and keeps talking about Guys are how he's a real competitor and he just loves to compete and to win. Yeah. He loves the bravado. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, the first chapter and the final chapter are different in that they're not about specific deals. It The first chapter is a week of Trump's life. And it's basically like, oh, Monday. 6.02 a.m., phone calling all of these really, really famous people and discussing expensive deals. Um, you know, I've sent the Holiday Inn board into a frenzy because I'm, I'm threatening to buy them out and the markets are responding in this way. So it's, it's kind of a timeline of a week of his life. That's the most boring chapter by far. This book opens with the worst chapter. That chapter was aggressively boring, really <laughs> dull, because it was, it's basically just a tight, like time stamped data. Yeah, literally of, like 9.06am, like, I called yeah, this person. I'm not joking. It's 12pm, like, I called that person, have lunch over here. <laughs> yeah, of his lunches or his phone calls. And it's, it's not Trumpy enough for me to find it amusing, but it's Trumpy enough for it to just seem a bit, try, especially because like, I'm not sure if Americans are aware of this, but like the world, the Anglosphere outside of America, the media is just, particularly more left-leaning media, is just obsessed with Trump. Everything, everyone to the right of of center is described as like some gradation of Trump. Trump is just this omnipresent entity, it seems. Like I I reckon every edition of the age since like, 2016 has mentioned Trump at least once. Yeah, no. Every doubt. day. Yeah, it's really it's really strange. He he must personify everything that people on the left like hate, I guess. <laughs> he's almost the 
he's in this very strange way, this this mirror upon which it seems people people see the worst parts of themselves and then in almost this public ritualistic <laughs> way seek to purge themselves of these evils by railing against I'm sorry it. for my consumerism. I'm sorry for my greed. <laughs> but I'm not as bad as lust. Trump. But look at Trump. <laughs> which to be I mean to be fair if you're feeling bad about some personal foible and you look at Donald Trump, he probably has the same foible, just pushed, pushed with comical <laughs> yeah, extremes. Yeah. Like, oh, you worry that you're too consumerist? Well, Donald Trump has like fucking gigantic self-portraits or portraits of himself all over every property that he owns. Oh, how repeatedly in this book he brings up Mar-a-Lago, his, his winter residence in Florida, and keeps talking about how many bedrooms it has. How many swimming pools? Oh, how awesome his! I think it's called a triplex, a triplex yeah, penthouse a, apartment in yeah in Trump at the top Tower. of Trump Tower in on like Sixth Street or whatever, um, in Manhattan. <laughs> that bit was really funny when he's talking about. Oh, I had a duplex apartment, and it's it's just the best. It's the best in the world. But there was an apart a penthouse apartment next to it, and I thought, well, I built the tower and I own it, so I'm going to take it. And I'm going to put it together. It was going to take two years to renovate, but it doesn't matter because I want the best. And then he starts talking about (laughs) the Italian marble and the floors and how I think it it was either his apartment, his penthouse apartment in Trump Tower or Mar-a-Lago where he said, he he effectively compared it to Versailles and said, "Look, <laughs> yeah, 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 it was Mar-a-Lago. This is Versailles, Versailles. of the twentieth yeah. century. Yeah, yeah, it was Mar-a-Lago, <laughs> the Versailles of the twentieth century. <laughs> so those moments when he's he's almost like the omega point of of soulless capitalism. That's when I find him <laughs> like the most endearing. <laughs> he's just he's almost like an egregore of of." crass dumb consumerism he's just like this this entity from our collective hollowed out unconscious that's just (laughs) come to life and started making real estate deals in manhattan that's when he's at his most it's it's and it's the the child childishness of that too it's like look at how much shit i have look at how how much shit i got and how expensive it costs and i'm Want the best. I only want the best. <laughs> I only want the best. And then you you look at the uh the decor of some of these modern Versailles and it just looks like a fucking brothel. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I find him the most endearing when he just seems like a five year old who has a shitload of money. <laughs> <laughs> tasteless. I uh, I looked at It is so-, so aggressively tasteless. Oh yeah, sorry. One of the other things I wanted to say is about his. He's also like very. Uh, his competitiveness also comes across as just <laughs> as just pettiness as well. Because the yeah, reason so the petty. reason why he expanded his duplex penthouse at the top of Trump Tower in the middle of Manhattan into a triplex was because he went over to like some Saudi yeah, some other guy's billionaire's place. penthouse and it was so huge. Yeah, he had a he was, he's like, and it was it had huge living room. He's like, okay, well. I- I want a big that. living room. I've got a bigger living room. Like now I have an eighty thousand square foot living room. I don't need it, but like, boy, it's good having it. <laughs> yeah, it. <laughs> that is that is one of the things I took away from this book is that Trump is effectively a child with billions <laughs> he's, of dollars. <laughs> he's a multi-billionaire geriatric child, and and at the least thing is, at least he's in been the year like of this, our Lord twenty twenty three. He's been like this since 
day zero. <laughs> he's, he's always been like, like, there's never been, he doesn't seem to exhibit any um, outward signs of like personal reflection or, or personal growth or anything like that. He's just like, I'm Trump. I'm the best. I want the best. I'm going to get everything I want. And you guys is, just got to fucking deal with it. He is the apotheosis of the winter of the Faustian soul in that in Donald <laughs> Trump's portrait, he demonstrates that there is no personal development anymore. No face, <laughs> no, nothing driven by an inner development of the personality. The only thing he's improved at is getting better and better at making deals. <laughs> so he's there are some interesting the things in this deal. book that I expect Tony Schwartz. So the guy's a journalist. I, I don't know actually how good he is as a journalist, but he did seem to capture some aspects of Trump that, that do really seem to have persisted over time. One thing is his obsession with the media and how he knows to, he knows how to play the media. So yeah. one of the things that keeps coming up in every chapter is particularly the New York Times. He has a strange relationship with the New York Times where basically everything he does in this book, he will offer a quote of some headline from the New York Times about what he's been doing. He at the same time seems to deeply, deeply care what they think of him and what they say about him. But at the same time, it's this, it's this strange superposition of deeply caring about what they say and wanting them to say nice things, but also, to some extent, not caring about what they say about him so long as they're talking about him. He keeps saying, oh, the best way to get advertising for some project of mine is to do or say something outrageous because then the New York Times will pick it up. And, and the run amount with of the story consistently, publicity. and I'll get lots of eyes on whatever I'm doing. Which he's like, which is well, both I true, would get, and I... and which which made him president. I I really think the New York Times obsession with him made him really president. really helped his campaign in 2016. Or, and he, yeah yeah 2016. He made a good point that it, it is that the stories, the coverage that he got out of just journalists reacting to him that he never paid yeah. for he got more value out of them than he would have been able to get by paying for the advertisement in the first place. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, probably true. <laughs> and he, is, he has consistently done that. So this was released, this was published 87, I'm pretty sure I said. 87? He's, yeah, 87. He, he, he just continued to do that and it has continued to work for him. Journalists just haven't tired of his shtick. Like, I guess the difference is maybe there has been some sort of desensitization because people don't get as worked up, or before he ran for president, they didn't. It seemed they were getting less worked up about him proposing some like, ridiculous housing development, like, oh, I'm going to put the world's tallest tower on the west side of Manhattan <laughs> in Television City. And people got really worked up about, about that. And then maybe that was, that was reducing in potency. So he just kept saying increasingly more inflammatory things, as, as he did on, on the campaign trail and things. But- it's it kept working. Yeah, he, it's really strange. He's consistently known which things to push on to get journalists to just fly into a blind frenzy and do a ton of advertising for him for free. And you know that they hate him, right? <laughs> the journalists just 100%. hate his guts. <laughs> and that every time they think they're doing some hit piece on him, like, ah, oh, this will take him out. They're not. They're like playing into his strategy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got them like wrapped around his fingers, man. <laughs> Because it's, he's, he was a pretty, he wasn't a terribly effective leader because I just don't think he has the attention span 
to, to institute widespread change. The guy seems to have the attention span of a goldfish, but he's a remarkable campaigner, incredibly crass and uncouth. But in terms of, you know, mass democracy is a, to a large extent, a popularity contest. Well, not even to a large extent. Like, it, it is just, like, by design a popularity <laughs> contest. And if, especially with modern telecommunications, if you just say outrageous shit, people will pay attention. And Trump as a campaigner is probably the best at that we've seen. It also just demonstrates Socrates' point that there is a fundamental disconnect between people who can get elected and people who can then govern. <laughs> yeah, to disjoint skills it. <laughs> yeah, I I have mixed feelings about this about about Trump because on the one hand, <laughs> yes, on the one hand I really dislike him. <laughs> but on the other hand, uh if you look at just um if you stepped away from his personality and I said to you, "Oh yeah, there's a guy He's worth a couple billion dollars. Maybe he started out with a fair chunk of change from his dad, but he grew that into many times the fortune that he inherited. And he's gone on to build skyscrapers and resorts and stuff across the face of the planet in a single lifetime. Most people were like, wow, that's really impressive. <laughs> like just just yeah. objectively, he's had an incredible career. And yeah, he'll have a bunch of failures as well, but every entrepreneur yeah, but that's that's, that's like that's trying new things. You're yeah, gonna fail. Try new things. He's and he has pushed the envelope with the architecture. And I know some of his buildings are really not not really my style, but some of his some of his buildings are like um I think quite innovative. Think the front tower <laughs> the outside looks yeah, cool. It looks incredible. And Mara Lago is repulsive. Repulsive. That the modern Versailles. Really tacky. <laughs> the the Trump Tower. So there's two there's Trump Tower and there's Trump World Tower in New York. I went and saw Trump World Tower. Which again, it's this, it's got this big black and gold like um out like outlay. It's pretty tacky, but if you if if you're standing back from it and you don't look at the sort of like the decorations, the black and gold is that's tacky. The tower itself is quite cool. It's like an obelisk. <laughs> it's like this black um kind of imposing obelisk. Uh and it's quite close to like um um uh like a lot of other like um like the UN. It's a it's I think it's quite a cool building. And some of his other buildings I think are pretty cool. Some of them are pretty gross. But uh so he's a lot of them are quite gross. Like uh, what was the name? It was um one of the stories in this was about how he bought from Hilton. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. His casinos are, are pretty gross. His casinos his, are, his are just pretty, pretty gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Truly disgusting. <laughs> so if you look at objectively his results, even if I went looking around for how much he got off his dad. He says a million bucks, which is a bunch of bullshit. Um, but even the upper limit of what I saw was a calculation that said in two thousand eighteen dollars he got the equivalent in help of his dad, um, four hundred million dollars. Which mm. I'm skeptical of that claim that it was that much because I don't even know if his father had that much. But even if I granted that, it's, he still grew his fortune many times. Yeah, that so anyway, so says, he's still successful. Even so it says twenty twenty three. Net worth two point six billion USD. So, like he grew, he grew it by several times, substantially, and and uh, and in real estate and property and large scale um, projects is not easy. Like that means you have to have like project management skills, like um, acquisite, like being able to uh, 
acquire contracts and and all these sort of, like deliver things on time, deal with lawsuits, deal with labor, all these sorts of things. So objectively, anybody who can manage billions of dollars worth of real estate and these the scale of these sorts of things and the management and governance complexity of it, um, just objectively, he must be good at what he does, even if he comes off as a as like to me, he just seems like I'm just like I don't know how this stacks up, but for some reason, like <laughs> you're pulling it off. You obviously know something that I don't. <laughs> so I I I agree with you. I like I despair that <laughs> despair. the leader of of probably the most, the most powerful military in human history, you know, it has been. Uh, he he might be back. <laughs> he very well might be up. back in office. Very well might yeah. be back. I mean, Joe Biden keeps having seniors moments and sleepy Joe. <laughs> yeah, like I, I despair that someone this crass, this this completely lacking in any sort of grace, <laughs> might be back. Like I'm, I'm truly unhappy about that. <laughs> However, like there are a few things. One. I really, in democracy where everyone gets a vote, this is kind of just where things move to over time. Like, it's a combination <laughs> of a wide franchise and modern telecommunications. Like, what gets attention? Things that piss people off or make, or like rile them up. Things that make the friend enemy distinction more stark mm. are things that spread. Like, they're, they're just competitively advantaged mm. in the modern media landscape. Mm. So someone like Trump, I think, was almost inevitable given the the series of incentives at play. It was either Trump or Sylvester Stallone. Let's it's be- going to be someone like that. It's going to be someone Kanye West. who is <laughs> someone who's a com- who's ridiculous and impossible not to pay attention to. Yeah, Kanye. People, people can't look away from a train wreck, <laughs> particularly if the train wreck makes you angry. Like <laughs> that's just Trump. That is Trump. So there's there's that. But what I find most impressive about him is more or less the same thing that makes me feel just deeply despondent about electoral politics yeah. and the electoral politics yeah. that got him elected, where he's, he's so obviously just trying to fuck over everyone around him, except for his family, even yeah. in this book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and despite the fact that he just seems so fundamentally untrustworthy, he's just so engrossing because he's such an odd person he's he's relentless in chasing publicity and in saying ridiculous things to get publicity that you just can't look away and it seems so much of his his success is predicated on that and he talks about it in this book he's like oh well if i made the best tower in the world but i didn't advertise it then it doesn't matter no one to go into it so what i did is he 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 takes an advertising approach uh, advertising first approach it's like i just keep talking up how good it is doing ridiculous things in the media, pulling all sorts of media stunts <laughs> to lure them in and get them talking about me, and then I'll build it. <laughs> and so that's what impresses me against, sort of against my, not even better, just against my instincts. That's what I grudgingly respect. It's just by force of personality, <laughs> by force of personality, like, by being impossible not to pay attention to, He's made billions of dollars. And it's also just like how shameless he is. Yeah. Is part absolutely of the, no shame. the fascination. Like, 
fucking Trump stakes. <laughs> <laughs> Trump University. Like, with a completely straight face, he'll advertise Trump stakes. <laughs> As if he knows. So that's the thing he's – so with all I said before about the positive or the objective success he's had, he's not operational. He doesn't do that. He's an investor. No. He's a very good investor and he obviously knows how to hire very competent people to run his op- – like operationally execute his businesses. Um, to that point, though, but so he's th- not operational. So the other so, good thing that okay. he's good at. Sorry, just one. The other good thing. Oh, yeah, to, yeah. So if we had to write down some of his like positive traits, <laughs> and and, <laughs> and 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 like eat our own shoes <laughs> on this one, it'd be like um, he's extremely good at marketing. He's a very good investor, yeah, and he's yeah. an extremely good marketer. And and that plus his his dogged um, persistence. Which you have to pay. He does. He does have that as well. Some of the timelines of these deals were like multi-year deals that he just wouldn't back down from. <laughs> just wanted to get his bag. Just Trying wanted to, get to his make bag. Though so that combination of things and his shamelessness just created this like very, at, at the very least, entertaining. <laughs> he is. Person. Yeah, he's highly entertaining and quite funny, and that's part of why I've I found this book irritating in that the the aspects of Trump that. I'll enjoy tend to be him making like really crude jokes or doing something <laughs> absurd. And there's just not so much of that in this book because it's like he didn't write he it. He didn't write it. And this guy, I don't even think this guy liked writing this book himself. Hey, no, no, I'm pretty sure he, he desperately needed the money. That's why he agreed to it. Now he feels bad about it. Just the ultimate puff piece, which is actually a really Trump thing to do. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I know this journalist. He needs the money. I'll give him the advance and make him do it. <laughs> Screw him. Up. To write, a, you know, Lives of the Saints, Donald Trump edition. Uh, so. What I I found interesting was um, that he himself admitted that going to Wharton was not worth it from an academic point of view, but f- for business, mm. it's just good because pe- business people find it except like find it impressive. Is that is that remotely controversial? <laughs> no, I like. Oh, I guess <laughs> maybe not in this day and age. I feel like in the nineteen eighties that might have been more of a thing to say. <laughs> yeah. Is he, um, yeah, you're right. He effectively said it's mostly I just met a bunch of people and I got a degree, which makes people feel more comfortable in dealing with me. Yeah. <laughs> the Swifton deal. Okay. Oh, what's another interesting thing to talk about? Um, should we just like pull up our notes and just like pick? So go through funny bits because one of the funny bits I, I want to talk about was chapter 10, low rent, high stakes, where he's talking about this <laughs> dispute that he has with um, these tenants in one of so basically certain parts of new york city had um rent controls and mm. so oh, he, he talks about rent control a lot <laughs> he goes after rent control so much in this <laughs> but particularly in this chapter and mm. um i thought it was <laughs> i thought it was really funny because i don't like rent controls either but then i'm just listening to this guy that i really don't like <laughs> I'm just like I don't want to agree with you right now, you bastard. <laughs> I don't really want. I don't really care about you getting more bags. But also, uh, he he highlighted that a bunch of people that were living in the apartments on the assumption that he's telling the truth. Like I'm just taking him for his word. But he's like a bunch of here's yeah, actually for for this. <laughs> let's just assume that what is written in this book is true. Is true enough? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like it is both representative of what Trump at least said. perceives. Yeah. 
and and it actually happened in reality. Like it's those are our two two assumptions for now. So we don't have to keep qualifying everything. Yes, yeah, again, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't really trust this book. <laughs> <laughs> but he had these two apart. I think it was two apartment complexes that had rent controls on them, and they'd been in place for like years. And so they hadn't been able to adjust for inflation at a reasonable rate or whatever. And but he did point out. The people that are staying in these rent-controlled apartments are not, like, doing it hard or whatever. They're a bunch no. of, like, professionals or people from, like, the New York aristocracy who and, are basically just gaming I, the I system. I like how he named them, <laughs> he named how them, much money they made, and then, then said how much, how much they, were they were paying in rent. Here's this person. <laughs> they're, I don't know, in the mayor's office or, the, you know, they're the friend of the mayor or whatever in this office, and they're obviously earning a lot of money, but they're only paying $350 a month for, for yeah. a six-bedroom apartment. <laughs> He's just like it's, it's just this uh what would you say like is it is it it's a it's petty a, vindictiveness vindictiveness yeah it's it. petty vindictiveness it wasn't enough for him just to say okay there's some people that can clearly afford to pay more but they're being obstructive because they want a good deal he went out and called them out in his book forever now for the rest of the time that this book is going to be in print those like 10 people <laughs> he just called out and just being called out as as just misers <laughs> So these aspects of the book, these are the parts of the book that I enjoyed the most and also the parts of Trump that I enjoy the most in that Petty I, I don't really want Trump having any any real political power. Or not even that. It's just like it makes me nervous having him there just because of both the chaos of him and then the chaos of the people who don't like him, just how fucking crazy they get whenever he's he's near power. I don't think petty vindictiveness is a, a trait that you want in a world leader. Turns the temperature <laughs> so far up that that starts to make me nervous. But yeah, <laughs> putting that aside, the parts of Trump that I do like are how childish he is, how vindictive he is, how petty he is, how how it's almost in an in an Emersonian sense when he is being most self-reliant and self-obedient when he's he's living according to his true nature and he's just out there trying to make stacks of cash and talking shit about people he doesn't like that's when he's at his best when he's at his most absurd like uh i like mm. you know naming people like you said who he thinks are not paying enough rent or ed Koch, the the former mayor of new york <laughs> so much of this book is dedicated to talking about how Koch is incompetent He's an idiot. He's greedy and selfish. <laughs> it's like he, he can't do anything right. Every project he puts his name to is is over budget and comes in late. <laughs> I think in basically every chapter in this book, he starts firing shots at the administration of the city of New York, <laughs> which is really funny. <laughs> Maybe it was, uh, really was serving propaganda purposes. It was probably like helping him get deals pushed through or whatever in New York is <laughs> <laughs> at the time, putting out yeah, a well, part of it is, for himself. In a large part, yeah, it is an advertisement for himself because he'll talk about the difficulty of getting approval for zoning permits and all sorts of things like that in New York. And then in every chapter, he ends up getting those those approvals by by a combination of cunning of nous and also just sheer persistence. Good so yeah, if you like I I guess it's, you know, a fool and his money are soon parted. If you are a financier and you are basing your assessment of Trump's creditworthiness on the art of the deal, then 
that it, that has its own problems, but <laughs> it, it at least seems to be an attempt to demonstrate to people how competent he is. Yes, maybe with view of of using it to raise money. <laughs> Imagine making financial decisions on the basis of the article. <laughs> this is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's funny because he he puts he'll say a person that he likes, give them a couple of compliments, which is nice. Mm, so they look young in there. Yeah, was it was it the fo- the former governor of New York he really liked? I'm not sure. We need to we need to look into how good looking this person was in Trump's <laughs> telling, so we can assess how much Trump liked them. So, and he'll he'll talk about or like a lawyer. <laughs> One of my favorite parts and was this so lawyer. All of his lawyers are very good looking and very <laughs> aggressive. It was this one lawyer in particular. Where have we got the notes? Uh, oh, it's not. Is it not? It's not. So a very consistent story, sort of an abstract version of of a story. In this in this book that's repeated several times is how Trump has run into some legal challenge that's very very difficult, and conventional lawyers have turned him down. But then a young, handsome lawyer who's up an outsider comes up, yeah, an up and comer who I want to reinforce is very handsome <laughs> and young looking, comes up and oh, they're also very aggressive yeah. and aggressively. <laughs> He and he and Trump talk, and that it's just an immediate meeting of minds. They just they just get each other. They sync up, and this yeah. guy goes into court and fucking kills it. Trump will give him some weird quite, little. Quite often, un- Trump will say like, "Oh, even though this guy was just so good, so aggressive, so young looking and handsome, could speak without notes, we still we still didn't get what we wanted." But <laughs> but this guy is so handsome, <laughs> really good looking. And the way that he knows that they're on the level is he'll. He'll he'll like test them somehow. He's almost like yeah. He'll shit test. Them. <laughs> yeah, he'll shit he'll test. He'll do a shit test like we learned in practical female psychology. <laughs> Trump's been studying the PUA stuff since since the seventies. Yeah, yeah. And he'll, so he he'll shit even shit test a lawyer. Shit test a potential lawyer. Anyways, his friend Roy is one of those lawyers who he really mm. likes. It was really interesting. He's like Roy's gay, but he doesn't like that people. Like he doesn't want no, to be seen as being soft because he's gay, so he overcompensates, mm. and maybe that's why he's so aggressive. But he also speaks out against gay rights. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay, wait a second. So you've got this gay associate, um, professional associate, which you obviously who you obviously really like, but then he slipped in this tiny little hedge so that because back in the eighties, the people who don't like gay people, he he, it's like he knows that. Saying, uh, he's how do I put this? He's playing both sides. He's like, I'm not going to take sides. I'm friends with a gay person. I'm not not saying that gay person is against gay rights. He has innate political instincts. (laughs) He knows exactly what he's doing. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And another really funny thing about about that chapter is is when he says the move to Manhattan when he's coming back from college. He says he makes this underhanded little comment back because Wharton, for people who aren't aware, is in Pennsylvania. Um, and he's, so he's coming back to Manhattan at the age of, I don't know, 21 or 22, presumably. <laughs> he's like, yeah, at the time of graduating college, I only had a net, work of like, net worth of like $200,000. I'm like, <laughs> I, go, I suppose maybe technically. <laughs> if you, Man, that'd be great. Uh, and then... Uh, He's trying to apply for this really new fancy club in in New York City, oh, <laughs> and right. it's what called was, it was called like Le it's club called or something Le really, club. Really, really it's dumb. Le Club yeah. for the nouveau Fucking rich <laughs> douchebags of New York to join a, a little exclusive club for for people who 
<laughs> need to have their their wealth and status reaffirmed by a bunch of other people. Yeah, but it's it's got a it's got a French name, mate. Le that club. means it's fancy. Le club or le club, mate. It means the club in French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so he's he's talking about how persistent he is getting in because nobody knows who who he is. Nobody respects the Trump name yet. You know, even though his father's successful, nobody knows who his father is because his father never shot big the enough. Part where he says that he's twenty seven <laughs> and like he's only, five times in every he's, page. He's twenty. He's only twenty seven. Nobody knows his name yet, and. He persists at like talking, talking to the club. Keeps on ringing them. They won't let him in. They won't take his name. So eventually, he somehow gets the name and contact details of the owner of the club. Of oh, sorry, the club gets in contact with him, badges him, <laughs> badges it. him, <laughs> and then eventually um, harangues and harasses this guy into, into having lunch with him, a cut, like mm. or getting drinks with him. Finally, convinces the guy to like let him into the club. On one proviso, he goes. The club owner oh, says, "I remember this. I'll try we are, you know, we're a bit old." The whole time, Trump's like, "It's full of older, rich guys, and there's lots of really beautiful, hot women there. Yeah, beautiful beautiful women. women, like actresses and and models and Russian ballet dancers with hook, hooking up with all these old, rich dudes." And the owner of the club is like, "Okay, you can join, but oh, look at this young stud, <laughs> this charger." <laughs> Do you have the quote for this one there, or I'll just. Paraphrase. I yeah, quote, <laughs> he agreed to put me up for membership. He had only one misgiving. He said that because I was young and good looking <laughs> and because some of the older members of the club were married to beautiful young women, he was worried that I might be tempted to try to steal their wives. He asked me to promise that I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he gracefully obliged. <laughs> yeah, you see, like, he's such... <laughs> He's so crude and so dislikable in so many ways, but then comments like that make me like him much more. <laughs> he's, he's just so shame, shameless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he met lots of beautiful and wealthy people at Le Club. Like, they're all crazy. All these women, they're hot, but they're crazy, so I just want my Ivana, <laughs> whichever one, Melanie, I don't know. Which one was it? the first one? Ivana. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Ivana. Ivana. Yeah. To start with. So she's she's solid. She's like the one she's woman solid. who tamed his heart when he was younger and made him stop being <laughs> such a, a playboy <laughs> at the club mm. in New York. <laughs> at least according to the art of the deal. <laughs> <laughs> Not the, the repeated extramarital affairs that he had in real life. <laughs> yeah, you can't trust anything this guy says, can you? I don't know who, no, who no. would go into business with this man. <laughs> I think it was Deutsche Bank repeat just like keeps lending him money and keeps getting burned. <laughs> but I mean, Deutsche Bank is also not really known for its probity in lending, so no, there is that. That's true. Like if you're looking for a banking scandal, Deutsche probably has you covered. Yeah. There weren't any other major standout um Oh no! There's, uh, there's one other character which I found really funny. There are there are a lot of really funny quotes. Uh, yeah, we've got got some quotes as well. But I, uh, there's this one character that I like. He he has this um story about the Swifton Village deal, uh, mm. which he has to basically manage a, a bunch of like pain in the ass tenants, and 
a bunch of issues, but one one of the key things he he highlights in the Swifton Village deal is a guy named Irving, who he really likes. Oh, Irving, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a this is a, a consistent theme where Trump will go into business with someone who's questionable, morally dubious, and straight but, up has but, criminal like convictions for for, for fraud. Trump wants results, and so long as they deliver results, then Trump will will tolerate their. <laughs> They're indiscretion. So this guy had a track, a known track record, and had I think had been convicted of actually committing fraud, <laughs> and he still hired this guy. <laughs> and he's like, but he's so good at what he does that you know. I said, as yeah. long as he's not stealing from this, from 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 me, I don't mind. And he said, I think wasn't Trump's rationale? It's like, oh well, Irving steals everything that's not nailed down, but everyone beneath him, he keeps them in line so they don't steal anything. So when he's around, I just have to watch one person. What, watch Irving. Which is Irving. And, <laughs> make sure he doesn't And in particular, he says, yeah, I used to have this joke with Irving. I'd say, we pay you $50,000 and all you can steal. <laughs> he's like, Irving didn't like that, but I had a laugh. <laughs> this is the, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Actually, one thing, one thing in this book that is has remained consistent and makes me think that it probably actually was based on something that Trump said is how he's consistently worried about other countries taking advantage of the United States. I quote, I have great respect for what the Japanese have done with their economy, but for my money, they are often very difficult to do business with. For starters, they come in to see you in groups of six or eight or even 12, and so you've got to convince all of them to make any given deal. You may succeed with one or two or three, but it's far harder to convince all 12. In addition, they rarely smile and they are so serious that they don't make doing business fun. Fortunately, they have a lot of money to spend and they seem to like real estate. What's unfortunate is that for decades now, they have become wealthier in large measure by screwing the United States with a self-serving trade policy that our political leaders have never been able to fully understand or counteract. And that did come up a few times in this book that other countries are taking advantage of the United States. So I suppose his 2016 campaign and subsequent presidency was in character. It, it was, wasn't out of character. He's consistent. It, He's consistent. In such a deeply, deeply ironic age, I wonder if part of the reason why people are so fascinated by Trump is he is a deeply sincere man. Yeah, that'd I don't be, mean yeah. sincere yeah, 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 in that yeah. he tells you the truth. I mean that he will lie to your face, and it's extremely obvious that he's lying the entire time. But in some perverse way, those very lies are a sincere expression of his soul. Yeah, he's he's unashamedly himself. He's sincere yeah. about being a bit of a snake. <laughs> By being like, I, he's a five year old. He's a five five year olds confabulate all the time as well. He's he's a five year old with almost three billion dollars. <laughs> can't believe that the world's such a strange place reading this book i get this sensation with this podcast quite often but especially with with this book for some reason just makes me think like the world is such an odd place because this person has you know caused large amounts of human labor technology concrete and steel to configure into like 70 story buildings and then erected giant Mm portraits of himself that's what he chose to do (laughs) with his one life on the planet and his creativity which is actually like in a weird way like unbelievably impressive remarkable remarkable. and it's he's a remarkably generative person he's an incredibly generative like insanely generative person he'd be like one of the most generative people on the planet but 
But it's also through, I know, it gives me pause to think that he's, he's also just incredibly self-obsessed. <laughs> so at, least with, at least with some of the other billionaires who are like out there doing really cool, crazy things like a lot of um, what Musk does and stuff. Um, it seems like they're more obsessed with the thing they're trying to build rather than building up their own mm. self-image. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure there's a high degree of narcissism in, for example, Musk's outings. Sure. But, but like, at the same time, like, if you're doing amazing things, I don't really begrudge people being proud of themselves for that. But, yeah, Trump yeah. is fascinating in that the project is, is himself. himself. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He wants the biggest tower, the, the tallest. He wanted to build the tallest residential building in New York City in a place that, his, in a part of New York City that historically didn't have those sorts of high rises. And then he just slapped his name on it, <laughs> made it the most ostentatious <laughs> thing he could have, and then turned his duplex penthouse into a triplex penthouse at the top of the fucking building. <laughs> and then got someone else to write a book. And then wrote a book about, about him, him in which he talked about how big his <laughs> like was. his entire his entire project <laughs> of his life is just to ex- imprint himself on the planet <laughs> and he's, he's been unbelievably successful at it like it's it's, it's, it's not like it, it's not like some weird you know sp- uh, I don't know, cracked out person on the street who's got a, a massively inflated ego from all the ice they're doing or something, and they've, you know, they're a bit strange and they're not. Oh, no, Trump Trump executes. He executes, and he's on a bunch of amphetamines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he really is the will to power personified. Yeah, that's, that's why I feel conflicted about Trump, because... You just can't deny that he's successful. He's unbelievably successful. It's he's just unbelievably he's successful. unbelievably successful <laughs> at he's such a fucking weird pumping up his own ego. Not- <laughs> yeah, but it, he's, the success is almost all in advertising. Yeah, but he he must have some level of of operational expertise must, yeah. in that. Even just like even being able to hire contractors, for example, to to construct a tower and then making sure that they're like he insists that he's incredible at spotting whenever they're trying to shortchange him. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise whether me that's if he's true good or not. At that sort of financial. Yeah, like he, he, he's probably stuff, good at that, yeah. given that he grew up around construction. Yeah. So that takes a that takes operational expertise to hire contractors and then make sure that they're doing it, doing the job and coordinating them. So he has yeah. that basis, but his it pales in comparison to his genius for advertising. He was like doing his, um, his success is. So, so predicated on his incredible ability to just generate attention. My friend did an NBA, uh, MBA recently, Master of Business Administration, and and one of the streams mm. that he took was uh, personal branding. And, mm. you know, probably 10 years ago, personal branding wouldn't have been a stream in an MBA, you know, may, or maybe at Stanford or something, or Berkeley, but not in an Australian MBA. Um, but now personal branding and, di- you know, because it's tied up with digital marketing and stuff is so important. <clears throat> and personal brands, especially since the rise of, since, say, Instagram in particular, um, and influence, like the influencer class, all that, has become such an important part of the economy. But Trump was literally like 30 years ahead of the game. Yeah, like, yeah, he yeah. actually he's been was implementing this in implementing this pre social media. He's been implementing. It's this. like the two people who pulled this off first were like Oprah and Trump. Mm. Like they said, I'm going to start and a Oprah business. Didn't build towers, and he built fucking skyscrapers. <laughs> <laughs> he said, <laughs> and put his name on. He, them. he said, I'm going. Yeah, but there are a bunch of other people who 
um, could have put their names on skyscrapers and they didn't. Or did, or did. It's like Hilton, yeah. for example. Hilton's it's a really good name. example. A really good example, but compared to Trump, just just an amateur. Yeah, because I feel like what the distinction that I'm trying to make here, Jack, is like the distinction between mm. like I am the brand versus like I've created this company mm. and I'm going to put my name on it. It's my namesake, which is like the Hilton. Yeah, that's true. That's and, true. Or like even like a law firm, they'll name it after, you know, like Joe Blow and Co. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Versus like, no- I'm the brand. <laughs> it's all about <Yeah>. me. <laughs> and I, not only do I want this Trump Towers to be known, I want my face on it. <laughs> like, I want my portrait and I want the journalist to be talking about me. And then I want to have a TV show about me. <laughs> and then I'm going to write a book about me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So how about, how about this way of putting it? With, with Trump, it's less that he is a real estate developer yes. who, becomes, who, who became famous for that. It's more yeah, like yeah. he is Trump the brand. Yep. And he builds buildings and people are interested in the buildings because it's Trump building yeah. them. <laughs> and you also know that he's going to do something crazy with the building. He's going to try and make it like- Yeah, he's, he's going to do some ridiculous publicity stunt. And do publicity stunts and stuff around it. Or not even a ridiculous, like a single ridiculous publicity stunt. A serious. <laughs> he, he knows and journalists know <laughs> that he will stand in front of a group of journalists and get combative, just say whatever comes into his head won't apologise for anything, <laughs> won't back down. It's going to be a fucking circus, which journalists love because it means, like, they're going to write stories about it and it's also they can get a sort of... A, they can get angry in a narcissistic, self-righteous you way about these terrible things that he's saying, you know, bloviate over that. And Trump can get a ton of free advertising. You know what's like crazy, it's, Jack? They're this strange symbiotic relationship. Yeah, it's incredibly... It's like this um, media symbiosis from from hell <laughs> the yeah the capitalist <laughs> yes. consumerist um nouveau rich <laughs> yeah it makes me feel dirty thinking about it <laughs> yeah because it's like i think trump is in many respects grotesque and i also think that the journalists who <laughs> they're also one grotesque hand, can, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they constantly morally posture you know, about how outraged they are about these awful things he said and he's so dangerous while at the same time just amplifying his signal like crazy because they get fucking money out Globally. Of it. Yeah, and their journalist friends can congratulate them for going, oh, you raised awareness about these terrible things Trump's wow, doing. Wow, the world has really like, changed. No, you just helped him into office. So <laughs> if, you think about, <laughs> if you think about it in a weird sort of way, okay, he might have, say, $2.5 billion worth of net wealth, which just represents the share that he owns of all of the assets that he's helped create. Mm. But maybe he only owns, you know, half of the financial value of of those things. So he's made billions more or he's participated in billions mm. more asset creation. Uh, but then he's also arguably, I don't, you wouldn't actually be able to run the numbers on this, but- if you run through the thought experiment, you might get a sense that he's actually helped sell probably billions and billions of dollars worth of news media because they use him oh, as yeah. fodder. Oh, yeah. And yes, it's helping him, but it's helping them as well. So he's probably helped generate billions and billions of dollars worth of like news media and subsequent advertising revenue off just being the best in the world at getting media attention. <laughs> And not only that is he has imprinted himself on the minds of billions of people, of billions of people, but particularly, particularly people involved in 
journalism, whether it's print journalism or audio journalism or video journalism, he's imprinted himself in their minds as almost this way of understanding the world, oftentimes a false way of understanding Mm. the world, in that basically any leader who's right of centre with a degree of personal charisma is now Trump. (laughs) Even if they're not actually... They're not charismatic in the same way that Trump is. They don't have the same instincts that Trump does. They they become Trump, or mm. they are described as the Trump of X, mm. you know, or the Trump of Brazil, or the Trump of Argentina, or the Trump of the United Kingdom. <laughs> so, not not only not only has he, you know, been a personal brand to sell stuff, he's almost turned into this particular prism through which the world is viewed. In a very dumb way, I should add. But <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> he's just—he's a—he's a Hegelian great man of history. He really is sort of a very strange, very strange world we live in. He's an absolutely bizarre person. We live in a very strange time, though, in terms of our our environment, given the ubiquity of telecommunications and things like that. We live in a very bizarre environment, which gives rise to very, very strange, powerful people. I don't know what to think of it. I kind of like it. <laughs> I, I like it in a weird kind of zoo sort of way. If I kind of, if I, yeah, if I'm sort of detached have... about the world I live in, <laughs> if I just, if I dissociate <laughs> <Is> it... <laughs> from my experience of living in this political <laughs> environment, then um, I kind of get a, a kind of zoo sensation as if i'm a kid in a zoo yeah i have very mixed feelings <laughs> about trump mixed to the point where i start to just feel kind of ambivalent like he's just he's this force of nature like he's just there <laughs> you can't stop it from happening and he's he's just going to keep on going until he drops dead <laughs> he's not yeah, going to stop yeah, i expect so <laughs> and he's 70 something now so he might have at least another he? 10 years on him before he's infirm or dead 77 I wouldn't be surprised if he went until he's... 77. So he's a, he's a spring chicken <laughs> yeah, by the, by, the standards, by standards of the US standards, political yeah. scene. He he legitimately... He's still a young, handsome man. And it's funny to think that if he does... Slay and puss on Capitol Hill. <laughs> if, he, if, he, if he takes the presidency next year, he still won't be the oldest president. <laughs> he'll, be, he'll still be younger <laughs> than, the, than the person he's, he's uh, su- succeeding. Yeah, that's scary. <laughs> what is it with the, this generation of um, politicians in... It seems like in the the US politicians are older than the Australian ones. Yeah, they're why much are they, older. In, why in aren't the they getting United out of the Kingdom way? In Australia, they're not not nearly as Because don't you think at some point you just have to think this it's it's it, as a matter of just responsibility to hand the reins over to the next the next generation down. It's like you're fucking eighty, like yeah, get out of the it, way. Was it <laughs> Was it Diane Fenstein who was basically a fucking vegetable? They just like wheel her out every now and then to slap like, her hand. At on that point it's to, like a it's this it. weird um crony capitalist gerontocracy it's like mm. you are you people this megalomaniacal that you can't just take a good career step down when it's, you're at a reasonable age enjoy your time and fucking let the next generation <laughs> like what is wrong with you people yeah well, i mean i think i think events answer that question yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you can leave it as a rhetorical question <laughs> it yeah. was yes it was a, it was a rhetorical just question. like <laughs> yeah it's in keeping with the governance model in that it does seem that if it's not an explicitly stated ideology much of the way American, Australian, uh, yeah, UK society as mm. well, at least Anglophone economies are structured, is basically to subsidise retirements, mm. so to, to 
vertically transfer wealth from younger people to older you're people. You're feeling that, are you? So Jack? in that sense, having having an extremely old leadership cast makes sense. Yeah, because we we probably will be. I I saw this. Uh, I probably listened to it on like radio, um, like Freakonomics or something like that, like N- NPR or something like that, where they was were they something blue pill. Yeah. <laughs> they were making this argument, not based economics, <laughs> volume yeah. economics, based to volume economics. They were making this argument that they think for the first time in the history of places, I think it was about the US, but I assume it probably applies to Australia as well, where they think there's a flipping of wealth transfer from older people to younger people is flipping now it's there's more wealth transfer going up from the younger generations that are working more to this like massive retirement class the boomers it didn't really happen yeah. and my problem with that is that i i'm too young to benefit from <laughs> yeah yeah my yeah <laughs> that's my big concern i mean i know 31 is effectively geriatric by the standards of our listener base. You're on the way out. I'm not geriatric enough <laughs> to get those sweet, sweet pension bucks. And yeah, that, that, I guess the current cohort of very old men and women in the Anglosphere who are refusing to sit down with the with a few exceptions, obviously, um, it would um, encapsulate that entire cultural phenomena. It's really weird. Probably the next 10 years, I would hope that, like, there's a few changes in that. Get a few people in their 50s would be nice. <laughs> Some spring chickens in their 50s. <laughs> Who have another 30 years that would, on. That would be uncomfortably young, at least in the United States. Like, in Australia, our prime ministers are not nearly as old as in the US. Much, Albanese much, must like, be like how, 60. How old right? is Anthony Albanese? Yeah, yeah he's yeah. 60. I'm um, pretty Scott Scott Morrison. Look, I think was in his. He 50s. looks. He looks like he's almost young enough to maintain an erection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's that's where just injecting Viagra straight into the penis comes in. <laughs> yeah. Viagra and amphetamine. Maybe okay. Okay, no. Dick. So so I'll take what you said as an axiom that age is related to your ability to maintain an erection. Do you think there is a causative relationship between the introduction? <laughs> Of Sildenafil, the introduction of Viagra, and the aging of our political class. I think there's I think a direct. I think things. it's a direct causal relationship. I reason. I think the reason why yeah, we're yeah, able to have yeah. an 80 year old sleepy Joe geriatric running the world's most powerful military force because, is because he still fucks. He can get a pharmacologically assisted <laughs> L Capitan grade erection. <laughs> he still fucks on rock command. hard, like L- rock hard. That's all he it's needs. Still, he's still suffering from that old man little dick. And 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 wrinkly scrotum, they haven't cured that. So he's got a tiny little rock hard alabaster dick. <laughs> well, it's when it's when Xi Jinping came over and and met with Joe Biden. Joe Biden just ate like thirty Viagra pills, slapped his his shriveled yet rock hard penis <laughs> on the table of the Oval Office, and Xi Jinping was just like. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, well done, man. <laughs> Let's do a trade deal. And then they went in the Oval Office's um, goon cave, sucked each other off. Yeah, into the good. Into- that's the adva- that's the advantage of of being really old, but still having access to Viagra. Is you can just goon forever because you can goon like, until you're just coming dust. <laughs> you're like a you're like yeah, a yeah, mummified yeah. dude with an erection, still still coming. <laughs> like I uh, J Man on the Discord server 
sent me a, a YouTube video explaining goon caves. Oh my god, I've never been so traumatized. Oh for for context, I think it was last episode. Levi asked me what the difference between a gooner and a kuma was, and I wasn't sure. And Several people have informed us of the, the distinction between the two, which is very important. And what a goon And it sounds like Levi has received additional supplemental material. So, <laughs> people have invested so much money and so much creative energy into creating very, very elaborate rooms in which they can masturbate. And then they share their achievements like r slash battleships, but as r slash good caves. <laughs> it's just it's just it makes me sad anyways i assume they have one of those in the oval office <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah well that that is the oval office <laughs> it's just a good case. behind the media scene yeah, well, is I mean, just for, a bunch of whenever uh, the media whenever the media dolls. needs a picture of the oval office it's basically just you know those how on zoom calls you can get you can get virtual backgrounds <laughs> yeah Whole thing's a virtual background. In reality, it's just a giant pile of crusty tissues. Like, you can't see anything else. <laughs> and, like, un- unclean fleshlights. <laughs> Smelling of two-week-old piss bottles, poo socks. Joe Biden's just either, like, <laughs> fapping himself silly or playing World of Warcraft. Anyway. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> else stop this part of the we're, we're talking about Joe Biden masturbating. <laughs> Get back to Donald Trump. This book is... Like, there are a lot of really funny quotes. And again, things that sound reminiscent enough of things that Trump has said, like in interviews or at campaign rallies, that I I expect that Tony Schwartz was, if not quoting Trump verbatim, then quoting Trump in spirit. Yeah. You know, where he's firing shots at Ed Koch, talking about how the guy is just a crook and a bully, and Trump just repeatedly embarrasses him, which is why Ed Koch hates him so much. Oh, what about this? What about th- this? Is, this is a good quote. This is a good quote. I happened to be at a fabulous party in California, thrown by Merv Adelson and Barbara Walters, and a reporter asked me about Marvin Davis's bid for resorts. Kiddingly, I said that Davis, who happens to be terribly overweight, should focus on losing <laughs> yeah. 200 pounds instead of wasting time trying to ba- break my deal with resorts. I heard later that Davis was incensed by ri- my remark, but I can't say I felt bad. I don't go out of my way to be cordial to enemies. (laughs) (laughs) Or what about the bit of the book where Trump gets philosophical? There was some workplace accident at at one of his building sites where a crane fell over and, like, pancaked part of a building. I quote, Losing even one life would have been horrible and devastating. In this case, only the sheer luck that the men at the site happened to be working on another part of the garage at that moment saved their lives. It goes to show how fragile it all really is. Those men were very lucky, and so was I. He had like one or two moments of almost being a normal person. In the it shows how fragile it all really is. I would be very, I would be shocked if Trump actually said that. <laughs> Yeah, now that you say it, actually, <laughs> that probably was actually just um, the Ghost Rider. I think that was Tony Schwartz taking taking little, literary yeah, license, a little bit of literary license. Like there. the final bit of that, which was where Trump said, "Oh, they were lucky, and I was really lucky too." That I can imagine him saying, but not the uh, shows you how fragile it all really really is. Not Trump, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Teflon Don can't get me. Oh, what about this? This this is right really close to the end of the book. The pool and the tennis court are finished, and both are as beautiful as I'd hoped they would be. 
as little as I'm interested in relaxing, I enjoy Mar-a-Lago almost in spite of myself. It may be as close to paradise as I'm going to get. Repeatedly through this book, I really like imagining Trump writing some sort of discourse on aesthetics. How he'll repeatedly talk about how something he's building is so beautiful, or <laughs> like the pool in some casino he's built is really beautiful. It's truly beautiful. <laughs> Moves the soul with its beauty. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, this will be. A, I imagine this will be a short episode because I just don't have that I much really to say about the book. Else to say really about the book? Like, it's, and any business advice? I don't recommend it. It's if you don't like Trump, then it's probably going to really bug you, and it's kind of boring. If you do like Trump, then it's still boring and like, you'll get more Trump out of watching compilations or of like, his best moments of campaign rallies or yeah, something. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, I don't know who this is. F- oh, no, I was going to say I don't know who it's for. In 2023, it's unclear who would actually enjoy this book. In 1987, I can imagine the, like, the self-improvement, I'm going to read a book by a billionaire on how to be really successful in business crowd. It would have just been might, so unhelpful. Might have though. liked this. They got ripped off. Yeah, so they were so I was I saw Ed the other day and he asked were there any concrete takeaways for business that I got from the art of the deal. And there are a few really vague things that he says that are I don't almost just kind of basic business advice. So consistently through this book he talks about how and demonstrates how he really doesn't want to be personally liable in, ter- in terms of money for anything going on. He really quickly tries to offload that risk, even if it means that he'll, he'll make less money. He tries to de-risk a lot, which is not, that's not a bad idea. Like, that's, that's fine. That's prudent. His advertising first approach is something that he, he regularly, or I guess always does, and continues to do, continues to do after this book was published. And that works mm. for him. So that's, I guess, that's another piece of concrete advice. Yeah. Advertise really hard. It's probably more important than whatever you're building. There was one genuinely really useful piece of advice that I wrote down. Oh, yeah, yeah. That I actually thought, if nothing else, reading this book was worth it for this one piece of advice that I thought was good. <laughs> Which I'm now going to give you, listeners, so that you don't have to read the book. <laughs> Which was... <laughs> Levi delivering value. <laughs> so much value. <laughs> Just give away value. First, this is a really first principle of marketing, episode. give value. <laughs> give value. This is the gifting economy. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, there's a chapter on uh, the Grand Hotel. So he did a deal with um, uh, Hyatt to build the Grand Hyatt Hotel in New York City. Uh, I think in Manhattan, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it was a really big deal for him because it was one of the first, if not the first, thing he'd built in Manhattan. And it was huge, like really big, important deal. And I'm, I'm sure it's um, uh, Grand Hyatt, NYC. What is it? What does it look I'm sure like? It's, I'm searching. Um, disgusting. No, let's see. No, it's fucking sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um, well, you know, I, I, I yeah, it look, it looks like a shiny Duplo block. Yeah, it's like it's, it's not. It's not bad. I think I think my girlfriend, who has much more taste than I do, she's a she's she's a designer <laughs> and, and and architect, and she she would probably really dislike it. But I like it because I have absolutely no taste. <laughs> you know, okay. You know what? This looks this looks like the sort of thing that Iron Rand would froth because <laughs> it's a giant. 
blocky, imposing, <laughs> shiny building. She would... <laughs> okay, and I, I, I'll get back to the value that I'm going to give the listeners, but I'm just going to defer the value for a little bit because I, just on that note, on Ayn Rand, I genuinely think that Ayn Rand would fucking love Donald Trump. Love <laughs> like, Donald he Trump. literally just... Imbo- he is like a Randian superhero. She would make him into her painting <laughs> in a second. He'd be licking the lint out of her toes <laughs> <laughs> He'd be smoking a cigarette out of her ass. <laughs> yeah. While Alan Greenspan watched from the closet. Because <laughs> all he does is he just makes money. He doesn't give a fuck. He talks shit about any any degenerate <laughs> fatty or journalist piece of shit that he doesn't like. And he just crushes his yeah, enemies. Yeah, he, hate- he makes money. He, <laughs> he gets out of all the taxes he can. He always gets the best deal. And he makes imposing structures on the landscape. Like he's just <laughs> he is the worst form of re- <laughs> He is the Randy. He's the hero. one person that makes me reconsider how much I like Ayn Rand. <laughs> <laughs> like hmm. <laughs> mm. so anyways back to giving value okay so with regards to the grand hyatt deal and i it's it's good value but it also just goes to show you how okay the guy is really fucking good at making deals like he knows what he's doing he, he actually is legitimately yeah. fucking good at it. like he's made a lot of deals in his life a lot of really high value deals and he's managed not to go to jail yet <laughs> because he's not, <laughs> never done anything outright completely illegal or at least not in a way that or documented that, it. that's been documented and has has had a successful <laughs> um conviction so anyways he's very good at these things but he's also a snake <laughs> and he knows what he's doing. And he, in the deal that he had with, with Hyatt, which I bet you they fucking hate him for this. He, he, he makes this big deal out of getting this thing into the contract, which is called an exclusive covenant. And oh, the exclusive right, right. covenant is a clause that get, you know, depending on what the nature of the, the deal is, um, is around like prohibiting, um, the, the your your counterparty from um, taking certain actions contingent on on the deal. So in this case, it was <clears throat> the the covenant was that in order for this deal to go through with Trump, so that Trump's the fifty percent owner of the Grand Hyatt or whatever it is, whatever the details of it is. Let's say he's the fifty percent owner of the Grand Hyatt in, and they're doing fifty fifty profit split or whatever in Manhattan. Hyatt cannot build any hotels in any of the five boroughs of New York City without the express permission of Donald J. Trump. (laughs) 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 He he fucking wrecked them. them. (laughs) He fucking wrecked them on that deal. I don't know how I don't know how the fuck he got that clause through, but they have got to be fucking kicking them. And it was like a hundred year contract or something like that. It was like that contract is still fucking going. It's going to still be going after. Yeah, no, and he made that point in that he he's like, I've even written a note in my will that's that explains yeah, his how, kids aren't to how the it. exclusive covenant works so that his heirs don't fuck up the exclusive covenant. <laughs> like he's even like, don't give them even a single like if they ask to build a small boutique like little thing next to the airport, say no. <laughs> don't give them anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the guy actually the guy is his fucking ruthless. Is really interesting. <laughs> That's really interesting, actually, you bringing up his kids. That, and this is something that has also remained consistent. 
he does he's extremely clannish yeah. in that he really trusts his family and real just doesn't trust people outside yeah, of his family. Yeah. That must be like a, he, he says a few times in this book. Uh, there's one point in particular where he says point blank if you have a family member who's competent, you will never have anyone as valuable as them because you can trust them with anything. Yeah. And he does he uh, he has Largely behaved consistently with that. Consistently yeah. with that, yeah, yeah. He really, really put, uh, prefers family to dealing. And it with seems like else. that probably came from his his upbringing. By the looks of it, like I think his yeah. his family yeah. were ex- his family were extremely tight knit, um, and he was involved like with like his dad's business and stuff from an early age, that sort of thing. Yeah, so he's extremely clannish, and because that clannishness mixed with his own business success and political success, just turns it into. Um, aristocracy, the Trump, yeah, dynasty. The Trump dynasty. So you have these, you have these American dynasties um, and aristocracies. The big ones being all the presidential families, like the Kennedys and the Obamas. Mm. And they, you know, if essentially, if you become not not so much the Obamas, like the Clintons, the Obamas might become. I think a they will. Like eventually, it'll just take a bit more time. Yeah, Saint Saint Barack has set himself up. Yeah, well. like the like certainly the Clintons and the Kennedys. Um, yeah, but then outside of po- the political sphere, you've got like the Rothschilds and stuff. Like at a certain level of success in America, because you can just get such massive. Well, the Rothschilds were a European family. Oh, sorry, I am. I must be thinking of a different family. Um, but with uh, with the Trumps, he's like done that in almost a single generation. Like, I guess we'll see. I yeah. guess we'll see how long it persists. Because the Kennedys have been around. Well, the the thing for a is, because to what you were saying earlier about how, so with a lot of those families, it tended to be they, those families made their money and their impact in some industry. Whereas with Trump, it's almost like the industry is him. And can that survive after his after his death? Will that persist through time if the product is effectively him? It feels like he's tried to set them up to like. Be on that road. If yeah, if they... yeah, he's he's dynastic. If for no other reason than they are related to him, and a piece of him will continue to influence the world after he's dead. And uh, my favorite, my fa- favorite um, American aristocratic family. Uh, do you want to? Do you want to guess? Can you guess? T- take a guess. The the greatest. My favorite American aristocratic multi generational like success story. Or something? Sorry? Like the Rockefellers or no. something? So much better than the Rockefellers. That was the family I was trying to think of before, I think. <laughs> the Rockefellers. Okay. Um, who, who is it? <laughs> the Johnsons. <laughs> Dwayne. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> the Rock. Because that guy, that, did you know he is actually the son? Of um, I can't remember his father's first name, but his father was also a W. He originally, I think, from Toronto or something like that, came up in the Canadian League um, Wrestling Federation or whatever it was called. And then when it got acquired by like WWW, well, it would have been the WWF or something back then, um, became like a, a Hall of Famer and raised 
Dwayne the Rock Johnson to just be like prodigy <laughs> ultimate wrestler. wrestler of all time. Now Dwayne <laughs> the Rock Johnson is he's literally like a billionaire and he's been in all these movies and stuff. He's a billionaire. Maybe not a full like hundreds of millions of dollars, you know. Like, just no, insane amounts of money. And eight hundred million dollars. Yeah, yeah. He's and, getting there. He's and getting there. He's getting what there. The fuck? <laughs> he's like ultimate wrestler. Just this, just a pure <laughs> specimen of like apex predators, like six he's foot just something, a, just a big hundred twenty. But then when you look at WWE wrestlers, right? What's amazing about them is okay, they're really funny because they're they're acting, but they're incredibly talented. Like. I, acrobatic they're you know like um acrobatics and gymnastics that they're doing um and Dwayne the Rock Johnson is now on the path to forming essentially like a, a wrestling base <laughs> aristocratic <laughs> family in the United States <laughs> I hope that I hope that one of his children goes into the WWE and just Trump, becomes well, the Trump, next thing Trump is really really involved in wrestling as well he, he, yeah, he loves wrestling he probably could WWE be the focal point for the formation of the new American political <laughs> dynasties oh my god could you imagine <laughs> Dwayne the Rock Johnson goes into politics <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't rule that out. I'd vote for him. <laughs> At least he trains. It's not like smushy like all these other little, little scrawny politicians. <laughs> if it would be really cool if if Dwayne the Rock Johnson actually became the leader of the free world, and so we just had some yoked wrestler <laughs> running the world's largest army, or like not, not the most powerful army. Yeah, the, I think there's a reason why several US presidents have come out of Hollywood. And it's like, what do you need for campaigning? It's You need to entertain people. He's really charismatic, Dwayne, The Rock Johnson. <laughs> yeah, he's a celebrity. <laughs> um, that's, that's the selection criterion. The Rock for president, 2028. <laughs> the Rock 28. <laughs> I'm not even joking. This should be a thing. Hey, guys, in America, start... Start uh start shouting out the Rock Johnson and tag Book Club from Hell. <laughs> he so might want to come on. Gives us a shout out, then I will endorse him. <laughs> I'll endorse anyone if they shout us out. Um, yeah. Overall, Trump, if you're listening, Trump, Donny, Donny, <laughs> give us a shout out. Um, Mr. Mar-a-Lago, The Rock. Um, I know Vince McMahon. If you're listening, shout out to Vince McMahon. Love your work. <laughs> <laughs> John Cena. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, if he can give us a shout out in Mandarin Chinese to all of our CCP listeners, <laughs> that'd be really good. <laughs> Expand the market. I don't really have anything else to say about this book or about Donald Trump. No, I've so little to say about this book. I'm I extremely mean, ambivalent and conflicted. We've been talking for an hour and a half about it. Yeah. I don't want to admit how successful he is, but you have to. And I don't recommend this book. There's just not much This to book it. sucks. Um and the only business advice in there is essentially all completely generic, except for that one bit about the um, exclusive covenant, which was actually like, oh yeah, that's mm. actually a really smart idea. If you can, if you're enough of a snake to think if of you it, can make it work. And the other people are dumb enough to like leave leave it in there, then get it in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, just in, if you're dumb enough to go into business with Donald Trump, you can, you can you're get, get fucked. fucked. He's gonna fuck you. <laughs> He's gonna find a way to fuck you. <laughs> He's good at it and he wants to. He's going to grab you by the pussy, put you in the place. <laughs> yeah. Take your money. All right. <laughs> <laughs>
What have we got next? I, I'm pretty sure the next episode is going to be on Killdozer. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, eventually, we will finish reading Decline of the West, but we have to wait for Levi's work schedule to be less intense. <laughs> so, be towards the end of the year. Uh, Killdozer, then maybe some furry stuff later in the year. Furry stuff, some Columbine, a pickle for the knowing ones. That was a good recommendation. Whoever recommended that. Yeah, Cryo. Oh, nice, Cryo. Cryo's got heaps of good recommendations. All right, sweet. I'm good. Yep, all good. Any shout-outs? This was the best podcast ever, the greatest podcast. Recommend it to your friends, share it around, say, hey, you want to listen to the greatest podcast ever? It's by the greatest author ever. <laughs> jackbc.me slash tower. <laughs> buy it now. Buy it on Amazon. Greatest speculative fiction. Bolkakov. He's garbage. <laughs> Kafka, garbage. Nothing compared to Jack BC. <laughs> Maybe that's going to be my viral marketing campaign as I fly around the world to the graves of famous novelists and just desecrate them, just <laughs> shit all over them, smash them, and then leave a copy of Tower there. <laughs> Jack BC was just, here. <laughs> just turn it to a complete animal, pissing shit all over them. <laughs> On camera, of course. <laughs> With my face covered so that I can deny it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah, you got that to look forward to. Thanks for listening. <laughs>